What's up, Blues fans? Brandon London here, and I have to welcome you to another episode of Chelsea Miked Up, the official Chelsea FC podcast. I'm coming to you from New York City. I'm Emily, and I'm going to match your enthusiasm, Brandon. It's a great week. I'm here in Chicago. And this is Andre Carlisle. Always love winning a new trophy. I am in the DMV. And I'm Lee. I'm in London. A little bit jet lagged, a little bit tired, a little bit croaky, but very, very happy. Happy and tan as well. <laughs> On this episode of Chelsea Mike Up, we're going to break down the club World Cup performance, giving you the inside scoop from Lee. And maybe, just maybe, you'll hear me cheering with the NY Blues. Ah, oh, such a good time we had. And the women are so close to taking over Arsenal, but the teams share the points in their matchup. Plus, Champions League action is almost back. So we've got some predictions coming your way. You're not going to want to miss the episode. Let's go, Blues. Lee, kick us off. Oh, where do we start? What a week. What a trip. Oh, amazing. Another trophy. The clean sweep for Cesar Azpilicueta. We're going to come on to that, I know, in a little bit. Just an incredible experience. I've been so lucky this year as well. I mean, my goodness, where do we start? Champions League, European Super Cup, another club, World Cup. Great to have Thomas Tuchel uh, rejoin us towards the end of the week as well, having uh, tested negative at long last after we missed him for the, uh, the games with Plymouth and then Al Hilal. So great to see him back with the squad and what a night it was. I know you all watched it. I know you all enjoyed it. I mean, I'm, I'm just about recovered. Andre, how are you feeling? It was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm feeling good. It was a great trip. It was great to win. You know, we all expected the win, but tough match. Tough match in the finals. I expected a tough match, but that was tougher than I thought. When we finally scored, I was thinking, okay, good. Now we, we maybe get another, you know, 2-0. That'll look great. And then 10 minutes later, we give up the penalty. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> like that completely turns things. But had to go into extra time to get it. Got it. It was great. I felt good with the match. I thought it was a great showcase, too. I know there had been some talk about Club World Cup and European dominance and all of that. And I'm like, nah, there's talent all over the world. I thought Palmeiras was great. I thought their fans were great. I thought some of the players were really, really good, put on a really good game. So I was pleased and obviously happy we lifted the trophy. You made such a good point, Andre, about their fans. I mean, Brazil, we've seen in World Cups, they travel so well. And their fans, you could tell from TV, that was a tough environment. I know Chelsea supporters traveled well, but it felt like Chelsea supporters from all around the world maybe weren't all in on the chants and the traditions of the game. Like that felt like a tough road environment. And I feel like there was just a little bit of added pressure for the players knowing this was the one trophy that evaded them. The fact that Didier showed up because he's like, I want to be here to support the guys because we weren't able to get it done. The fact that Roman Abramovich, the owner, seemed to have sent that message down. This was an important one for him to win. There's always that added pressure. And just beginning the game, there were some interesting lineup decisions. I mean, Ziyech, I said it last game, like he's probably been our best player the last three matches. And to see him not start, you knew there was something going there. My theory, and this is just my theory, is that maybe he was just a little overgassed of playing so much football. Then when you see the first sub come in when Mason Mount is injured, Having Christian Pulisic come in was definitely a choice, you know, especially as he's been open about some of the mental struggles he's had playing for the U.S. men's national team, the pressure that he had. I thought Captain America came in, you know, I'm his biggest defender, but played really strong. I mean, he was giving them a lot of fits. He was attacking the box so well, which to me is such an important thing for him because that's something that was missing the last few appearances that he had. So Definitely some interesting lineup choices, but I liked them. I think it's a really good point about Christian because I spoke to him and we were, we were in the lift, I think, the day before the final. 
And I was like, how are you? And he was like, oh, just tired. I mean, he, he is, he's, he's going to be tired because he was away, obviously, with the US men's national team over in South America, flew back the day that Chelsea then flew out east for the Club World Cup. So I was like, how are the air miles? You know, he's flown an awful lot, a lot of travel, takes it out of people, doesn't it? So I think that was an element. But yeah, he looked extremely sharp and, and really made a difference, didn't he? I thought he played well. Callum Hudson-Odoi as well, you know, obviously with the cross for the Lukaku goal. So many big performances. And Andre, just to come back on your point about Palmeiras, such a tough game, as you as you rightly said. They were very defensive, weren't they? I mean, there were a lot. I was looking through my notes again this afternoon. Six behind the ball most of the game, trying to catch Chelsea on the counter-attack. So they knew what they were doing. And there were people in the press box that saying after five, ten minutes, do you think they're playing for penalties? And it was just one of those type, you know, it felt like that sort of approach, didn't it? So it was always going to be tough. The atmosphere was insane. The volume, I don't think I've ever been, I mean, it wasn't full by any stretch, but I've never been in a stadium, in an arena that loud with the Palmeiras fans, with the Chelsea fans, but also the PA. It's the loudest PA system I've ever heard. There were like four separate like MCs at different parts of the, and the volume. I had like, I've got like noise cancelling earphones that I'm wearing now. I left them in for the game, not connected to anything, but just to plug my ears, it was so loud, phenomenal. I don't understand why people are slamming the Chelsea players for celebrating this win. A win is a win is a win because people are saying, oh, we're 16 points behind City and this isn't a real cup or this. When you line up and you line up to play against a team, especially when Chelsea right now is going through adversity during their season from not people saying they're not scoring enough or not doing this enough. You want to go against a quality team like Palmeiras and you want some sort of adversity and come out with the W as well. And players are healthy. So this could be one of those matches. And again, this is a former player in me where it's one of those things where it's the locker room versus the world. It's cancel out the noise and you go out against the world. But I don't get how you're just going to thrash them and bash them for celebrating a win. You're out for W's. Regardless, and especially playing in a match that big of a stage, it wasn't like they were playing at some sort of some stadium with 9,000 fans against some EFL team. They're playing on a high level. I think this is one of those matches where it's like for the players, it's like, whew, we needed to get that. We got a cup. We got another trophy. We got a W. Now let's go back to the UK. Let's take care of business here. You know, so that that's just how I feel about that. But whew, what a, what a match! What an experience! It's a really interesting point that Brandon, because I think you're right, and I think rightly or wrongly, a lot of people in our country, you know, haven't, haven't maybe given it as much credence as, as other parts of the world. But the South Americans, if we're going to focus on them, you know, this this competition means so much, and you could see that in the Palmeiras team, in the way that they were set up, and for a continent that really values this competition they haven't won it since 2012 when corinthians who beat chelsea in the final won it since then it's been the champions league winner from europe that have won the competition for the last nine years so it does mean a lot and it meant a lot to to chelsea you spoke to you know speak to thomas tuchel in the build-up this was something he desperately wanted to win the only thing i'll say about that is how in the world did you get invited to the competition anyway you win the Champions League in Europe, okay? I thought you were shouting at me then, Andre. I thought you said, how did yeah, I get no, it? Yeah, no, not you. I'm just saying, like, I don't understand this mind. Like, you're invited to this competition. It's very rare, very exclusive. You get in there. Of course you want to win. Like, I don't understand any of that stuff. Like, you, we won 
the Champions League. That is why we are in the Club World Cup. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. It was interesting speaking. I think, Emily, you mentioned Didier at the start. It was interesting talking to Didier after the game. And he was like, look, I had to be here. This was the one that got away. We didn't win it in 2012. I wasn't there. I was like, yeah, I remember you were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he left in 2012 after the Champions League. Like, well, I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What a legend. What a legend. And then it was brilliant. So he then, he after we'd, he'd spoken to us in the mix zone, he then spoke to a couple of journalists from some of the British papers. Whilst he was doing that, I managed to grab Kai and Aspie. And then Didier then walked past. He goes, this guy, pointing at me, this guy, he goes, he's won more trophies in, in two years than we did in 10. Ha! And walked on. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, you did it. The full house, you've now. done That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. This guy in two years, he's won more trophies than us in 10. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And I, I love that from him. I love that humility. And it just shows just how high regard he's held as well. Cesar Azpilicueta, the record, the amount of trophies he has won in, in a 10-year period. And signed in 2012. And you think about some of the other players that arrived at Chelsea during that time. Eden Hazard, Oscar, Kevin De Bruyne. So he arrived with very little fanfare, I think it's fair to say. And he'd be the first to admit that as well. And then he went on to play, I think, something like over 40 games in that first season. Second season, he plays in a Champions League group game away at Schalke, at left back, out of position, ahead of Ashley Cole. Since then, two Premier Leagues, League Cup, FA Cup, Champions League, two Europa Leagues, European Super Cup, Club World Cup. It's, wow. It's quite the haul, Andre, isn't it? He's one of those players who just is like, he does his job. I think that's like the best way to describe it. He is so just ever present in there and does the job he's asked to do. As you mentioned, he's played left back. He's played right back. He's played right center back. I mean, he kind of plays all along that back line and does a very good job when he's in there. And we kind of talk about it just because he has that kind of presence and he's been captain a, a number of times. But the leadership quality of somebody like him, what he did for Kai Havertz before that penalty yes. is just wild. I've never seen that before. But it's one of those things that like somebody who has that type of leadership mentality, the whole thing is to put your team in the best position to win. And that was one of the coolest ways to do it. As soon as that penalty was won, he picks up the ball and he just kind of hovers around the penalty spot. And of course, like every, every opposition player, every, every team is going to do this, so surround the penalty taker, try to get in their head and everything. And he just he stood there, listened to him, kind of paced back and forth for over a minute while Palmeiras players and everything were just going at him and, and trying to stand in front of him, stop him putting the ball on the spot and everything. And it's just like, as soon as the referee cleared everybody, he then walks over and hands the ball to Kai Havertz. So Havertz didn't have to stand there for a minute because he knows how young Havertz is. And he didn't have to stand there for a minute and he could just focus on dispatching the penalty and winning the trophy. It was so cool to watch. There's video out there of it. Y'all should check it out because it is so cool to watch. It's just one of those moments the camera's didn't really focus on. I thought it was really, really key in saying, this is Havertz, go do your job. Like I took everything else, go do your job. There are so many elements of that. I mean, firstly, you just mentioned Kai Havertz is young. Can we just talk about how many big goals he's now had? <laughs> oh, yeah. Trophy Wild. clinching ones. He's 22 years old. He doesn't even turn 23 until June. Like, I don't think we talk about his youth enough. We talk about Reese James' youth. We talk about Christian Blissick. Like he's younger than both of them. Two, just that moment, Andre, like as a viewer, I was a little bit confused that was going on. As you mentioned, the camera angles weren't there. But when you watch it, and some people have broken it down beautifully, the eye contact that Azpilicueta makes with Havertz, like, mm. you know what I'm doing. I just want to yeah. know what the conversations were like beforehand. Like, did he express this to him that this was the plan? Was this just all nonverbal communication because of their chemistry? And three, just the pre-scouting that it takes to do that. Andre, you mentioned it. So many clubs do this, but Palmeiras especially, like they were rowdy and they were aggressive. And it takes 
a lot of knowledge. And, you know, I bet there's video coaches out there who have pulled these clips and showed it to the players ahead of time to make sure they were prepared for this moment. So all of those things together just made it epic. It was total gamesmanship. I don't know if they're going to be able to pull this off in the future because now everybody knows the trick and they'll be expecting it. But it was just so, so cool to see. And then as Philip touched it, it's the last thing on him. You mentioned it, he does everything. And I think why he's so appreciated is he's not the most talented. He's not even the best back we have, but we know that he always maximizes his effort in every situation. And that to me is a sign of a true leader. And that's why he's the captain. I think it's a really good point. He's played under eight managers in 10 years. And every wow. one of those eight wow. managers has, has just leaned wow. on him and relied on him. And he's been a, a pivotal part of any Chelsea squad throughout that period. And he displays that winning mentality. In training, he's the first out. I think that example of, of how he managed to have that situation confused us. We're up in the press box, up on like the fourth tier. Look at, is he taking the penalty? <laughs> is, is he taking? Ah, ah, right. Okay. And it was only afterwards that we realised. And I, I said to him post-match, because I didn't realise he'd spoken about it already. I think he did to, uh, to a couple of the broadcasters before. I said, just so we're clear. And I said, what was going on? And, and he sort of talked us through it, as you rightly said there, Emily, as well. And I was like, wow. That is, you know, the, the mark of a true captain to basically stand in the line of fire, one of his teammates. And it was fantastic. Great moment. Great moment. One more thing I wanted to say about Aspie before we move on, by the way. If you look at the players, he's now the seventh leading appearance maker for Chelsea. The six ahead of him, Ron Harris, Peter Bonetti, John Terry, Frank Lampard, John Hollins and Petr Cech. Pretty good company. Wow. You've said pretty good company, Lee. And the reason we have you here is because you keep the best company. You're around these guys. And <laughs> I just need you to take us inside. First, the locker room, because you shared something in the group chat with us that I was like, I hope they're popping bottles of champagne. And you're like, no, actually, no alcohol on this trip. But I also mm -hmm. want to know what the team plane was like. And you explained there's a reason why Jorginho's in every single person's social media photos. No, absolutely. So, yeah, no alcohol allowed. It's the rule in Abu Dhabi. Unless it's a licensed premises. So unless you're in like a hotel bar, you're not allowed to consume alcohol. So obviously rules are rules. Absolutely fine. So it was just soft drinks, some sparkling water. And obviously, you know, I'm a fan of that. Fruit juice, <laughs> all manner of things in the dressing room. And yeah, there you can see probably in the, the Chelsea TV footage of like Aspilicueta and a couple of others trying their very best to shake up these bottles. And they just weren't going to you know, weren't going to go like a bottle of champagne would but the celebrations were fantastic a brilliant cameraman george in there capturing that and then we were outside picking off all the post-match interviews we went to race to the airport we flew back because obviously with extra time and everything everything was sort of pushed back and we flew back overnight everyone was up and obviously in really good spirits exchanging stories and ricky the kit man came up to the back of the plane with the trophy and then he brought it up and he said right this is for all the staff so every single member of staff that wanted and of course everyone did had uh, had pictures with the trophy, which was fantastic. Most of the players then got some got some shatai, got some sleep. Apart from Jorginho, he was just wired. I just love him. He's just a bundle of energy, and he just came up. Everyone was taking pictures with him and his medal and his tro and the trophy, and it was just brilliant. And I don't think he slept a wink. He's like the Energizer Bunny, isn't he? Yes, we won. Come on! just bring up something about Thomas Tuchel, who, of course, we, we missed against Plymouth. We found out the morning of the Plymouth game that he had unfortunately tested positive for COVID and then didn't fly out with us that night to Abu Dhabi. So it's great to have him back. If you've seen any of the video footage from when he rejoined the squad, we were up in Dubai with Petr Cech, so I didn't even see him when he arrived. But if you see the, the video footage, it's phenomenal. He walks straight into the dining area and it's like handshakes and hugs with every member of staff. 
every player, every member of back, the backroom staff. That speaks volumes of him as a coach and also a, as a man and just how highly respected and regarded he is within the organisation. Even before we flew out, he went to the effort of taking us all out for dinner. You know, everyone that works in and around the Cobham training ground, he wanted to celebrate his first anniversary and he did so by taking everyone out for dinner and drinks to, you know, to bring everybody together. It's something that I just know is so highly cherished from everybody that's part of the group. So it's a fair play to him because, you know, it, it gets results and every it just galvanises everybody and everyone in every single part of the team, you know, from the kit men to the medical staff, you know, to, to merchandising, to marketing, to TV, to everyone is then pulling in the same direction because the guy at the top of the tree, the guy that's in charge of the team is that way inclined. And so fair play to him. I think he's done a fantastic job and another trophy for him. First time for him as well. Club World Cup for Thomas. So congratulations to him as well. And on the subject of unity, can we talk about the goalkeepers union? Oh my gosh. My word. Kepper, by the way, fair play to him. Penalty save against Plymouth. Big, big saves against Al Hilal. And then... Edu Mendy, just casually winning two trophies in the space of a week, as you do. How lucky are we, by the way, just to have two elite options that we can turn to? Like, I feel Amazing. like there's teams that would die for either of those guys to be on their roster. Two, I can't imagine how difficult a decision it might have been for Thomas Tuchel to go with Mendy. You know, he is obviously our number one goaltender and has been the entire season, but he's been away the last few weeks. He just won an emotional tournament, as you mentioned, with Afghan, with Senegal, came over. And, you know, and it's like, do you just thrust him right back into this really important game? And you do. And like you mentioned, just the union of them, it doesn't seem like Keppa has any ill will towards Mendy, nor would Mendy have any ill will towards Keppa. And that's just honestly the sign of true chemistry. I agree with that. We watched them in training the day they, so um, Edu came back on the Wednesday because he didn't play against Al Halal, Keppa did, and, and a couple of world-class saves in the second half against them. But just watching them in training is an education. Hilaria, the goalkeeper coach, he has such a tight unit with the two of them, with Marcus Bettinelli, James Russell, who's Hilario's assistant as well, is such a tight unit. And you watch them in training, it's hilarious. They just, they laugh a lot. They get on. They really do, but they push each other as well. They they really do know how to get the very best out of each other. We spoke with Edu largely about, you know, AFCON and, and winning it with Senegal and just the whole emotional aspect of that. But we spoke about the goalkeeper union and, and just how well they get on. Like you rightly said, Emily, two world-class keepers. You always talk about, I know, Brandon, we've spoken about it, haven't we? Sort of competition for places. But when, like you say, Emily, you've got two world-class goalkeepers pushing each other getting the very best out of each other. Brandon, it's always going to end in, hopefully, you would imagine in the best possible way and get the very best performances out of elite athletes like this. It's that level of competition one looks like between friends to where they're just like, look, I don't make the call on who's going to start, who's not going to start. Obviously, Mindy's probably going to start, but it's one of those things where it's like, yo, let them make the decision off of our level of competition, not because one of us is pouting or one of us looks upset and not being a team team player in that sense so again it's one of those competitions to where it's like you wish you could keep both of them forever but you realize hey these both of these guys are really 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 good yeah during my time at the club we've always been blessed with having two really good goalkeepers any one time it's when Petr Cech first signed you know, he was taking the place of Carlo Cudicini, who was the, the the player of the year the year before. And then Thibaut Courtois that they signed, who was out on loan at Atletico Madrid for a number of seasons, came back. And then all of a sudden, you've got Thibaut and Petr Cech competing for the number one jersey. And here we are again with Edu and with, with Kepa. Shall we move on to the Chelsea women? Oh, yes. Let's please. And I, I'm disappointed. Well, let's match of the year, Andre. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I just am disappointed. <laughs> In terms of the big picture, you get a point. You only get, allow them a point. 0-0 draw. That actually really favors Chelsea because now we have a game in hand. 
we can leapfrog them to get to the top of the table. They can't really drop any more points because then our lead just grows. Of course, assuming we win that, we get three points from that game in hand. So not the best case scenario for Chelsea, but it's still a bad case scenario for Arsenal. On that, it's great. But what I'm used to seeing is when Emma Hayes teams go up against a rival with a lot on the line, they really perform and they perform very well. And particularly against Arsenal, <laughs> especially recently, you know, just, just as recent as early December when they won the FA Cup final against Arsenal in ridiculous fashion. I know I talked a lot about that match here because the pressing structure that we ended up having in that game was just incredible. Arsenal for about the last half hour of that match looked scared to pass the ball forward because they knew it was coming right back at them. We didn't really have that. And I think we, it took us a while to kind of solve some problems. I think introducing G after halftime was a very necessary thing to do. We were having trouble getting the ball to stick in midfield and breaking their press. I also think Arsenal kind of threw a curveball that we didn't seem like we, we picked up on because it was the first time that Miedema, normally their star striker, was playing alongside Stina Blackstinius. Not really alongside because Miedema was in midfield a lot. And so that was really kind of a really unfortunate wrinkle. We're really used to playing Miedema and being able to mark her fairly well. We have a good record against her. But when she was dropping in the midfield, she was getting into spaces, causing problems. She hit the post once. Blackstinius is a very dangerous player as well, player that I was really upset. I like her as a player, and I was like, can she not go to Arsenal of all teams, please? But she's there. In terms of problem solving from minute one, we kind of had to, figured it out, you know, got G on, looked better, grew into the match, you know, later and as the match went on, had our opportunities, you know, Pernilla Harder had a shot close and then Sam Kerr, a quick follow-up that was blocked. I'm also thinking about the shot that Gua Wrighton had when the ball fell right to her and she hit it straight at the goalkeeper instead of in either corner. I think she scores easily. So we definitely had our chances. But in these matches, I'm so used to Chelsea coming out and getting the win, particularly against Arsenal, you know, scoring two, three, four goals and winning. And that was, I'll be honest, I was confident before the match. I was pretty confident. I was like, we're going to get three points. This is going to put us back on track and we're going to show the dominance that we've had in this league and win it for a third successive time. Still on track to do that, but I really wanted three points in this match and a little sad not to get it. Yeah, it was a strange one. We were coming back from from a fan event with Petr Cech in Dubai. I was like, oh my goodness, we need to get back for the game, get back for the game. So I'm trying to log on on my phone to watch it and end up watching sort of like the second half when we got back to the hotel. But yeah, I think you hit the, the nail on the head and it was it was such, it was one of those competitors, a cracking game. End-to-end chances at both ends. Obviously, there was the penalty shout that wasn't, uh, where it came off of Williamson's arm. Oh. So yeah, things could have gone either way. Absolutely. Some defensive scrambles, Jonor Anderson fizzing one past the post. You know, like you say, in the, in the context of the season, it could well turn out to be one point games. You know, like you rightly say, win the game in hand and then everything's in Chelsea's hands. And it's been a good week for them, you know, beating Man City and then obviously United as well in the in the Conti Cup semi-final before that. So pretty good week all in all. And I say a well-deserved break, but most of them go off and play international football now, don't <laughs> yeah. they? No, I was going to say in every sport I've covered, they've always said, it doesn't come down to a call at the end by the refs. There's so many more opportunities mm. to win it before then. And I know Arsenal had a case of maybe a missed call against us earlier in the match. But to get down to the extra minutes and see what I believe to be a very blatant handball and then have the official go and ask another player, did you see that? Mm. It's just so dissatisfying. Oh my gosh. Um, ugh, it, it just leaves such a sour taste. But Emma Hayes, I almost felt like you could hear on the broadcast. Firstly, I just saw Andre live tweeting like crazy, and I kind of forgot the match was on. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to tune in right now. And I swear I could have seen Emma utter under her breath, 
what a match because it just was so intense. It was. If we're going to draw sort of comparisons, we were talking obviously about the Club World Cup final and the two penalty decisions that were given there. Both correct decisions, but both times the referee had to go and consult VAR before making the right call. It's almost unfair to make direct comparisons between the women's game and, and the men's game in, in certain circumstances. But with VAR, that's a penalty, isn't it? I hate rooting for VAR because like the, the way that it's been implemented <laughs> has really just bothered me. But a call like that, this is kind of the thing, and this is why I think VAR was implemented ultimately, is because regardless of right call, wrong call, and sometimes in situations, referees don't want to make decisions either to say, you know, we're going to let the players decide the match, which I understand that. But also not making a call in a, in a big moment is also making a decision. And I think that was one of those things where the way she jumped up was so unnatural. Her arms were up. She was like, it was like she was trying to take flight. Her arms were wide. The cross clearly hits her elbow. I remember, because of course, Arsenal fans were like, but what about this one on Jess Carter? Just Carter had already made the block. It wasn't directly from a shot or a cross attempt. And it was an unfortunate bounce from how she had to jump in the air to block that shot. Williamson, that was her first thing. That the first contact from the ball after it was crossed was her elbow knocking the ball down. To me, that's a direct interference with whatever was going to happen. And it's clear. I mean, it, her arm was outstretched. So I hate talking about it. Emily, you're right. It is frustrating. You, you do say there were plenty of other opportunities to score, but thinking that how important this game was and just whatever the final table is going to look like, I hope I don't have to think about this decision. But this game was pretty much an even match on the stat line. Three shots on target to two, 51% possession, 49, 458 passes to 444, 444, those are my lucky numbers. If you're Emma Hayes after a match like that, get the even draw, yeah, you needed the three points. You look back at the Arsenal's last five matches, they've lost three, won one, drew one. Chelsea won two, lost two, drew one. You're Emma Hayes. You're Andre Hayes. You're talking to the team after the game. What's your post-game speech like to the squad? You're encouraging or are you kind of harping on the fact they should have got more points out of that? Oh, no. If I'm in a leadership position for the team, I'm encouraging because there are nine league games to play and you can't let them be focused on this any longer than the very minutes after that match. You have to move on. You know, we still have nine league games to play. Two are against Spurs. One is against Manchester United. Both those clubs are in the top four. Like, we still have matches that are going to be intense and going to require full concentration. And whether you get the penalty calls or not, you still have to score goals. And we had an opportunity to score goals, and we didn't. So for me, I'm focusing on that. Like, what can we do to be more clinical, to figure out what we need to do? Because you're right, the match was finely balanced, and it was a very good end-to-end -end match for both those teams. But normally in those situations, players step up and, and key players step up. And we have, I mean, I, I know I called out Mietam and Blackstinius, but you look at our lineup, Pernilla Harder, Sam Kerr, Fran Kirby, Guo Wright, and Aaron Cuthbert, they were all on the pitch together. We have to be able to find a way to get the ball in the net. So for me, I'm saying, all right, we are still in great position. They needed the three points more than us. We didn't allow that. So that's a win for us. But now we need to figure out how to make sure we can fix the attack and get the goals that our dominant deserves because we're a very talented team and we shouldn't have gone 90 minutes without a goal against that Arsenal team. They're missing a good part of their back line. Katie McCabe got a red card in the previous game. She was missing. She's one of Arsenal's better defenders at fullback. So like there were opportunities to exploit and we didn't. So you're upset about that, but you don't harp on it and you continue to look forward and say, long as we fix things and we get the goals, we're in great shape right now to be able to lift the title for the league title for the third 
consecutive season. And objectively speaking, and advocates for the women's game, it just shows the strength of this league, doesn't it? Especially at the top end. When you've got Chelsea, Arsenal, City doing you know, resurgent Manchester City, considering the injuries that they've had to overcome, Manchester United, Tottenham, the levels of competition are just exponentially getting higher and higher and higher each year. And and Chelsea, of course, still missing big players. You know, we're still without Magda Eriksson, still without Melanie Lubbock. Injuries, COVID has had such a big effect on, on every squad this year. But it's certainly going to be an exciting running, isn't it, until the end of the season? I'll tell you what, though, Andre, after that response, we need to get you in the academy as a coach, bro. We need to... Lee, make it happen, man. We need to get him in the academy. Put it on Lee. Some sort of leadership yeah. position. Uh, sorry. All right. Let's go ahead. Let's look ahead because we've got some Premier League action. We've got some Champions League action. And we've got some predictions to make. Let's start with the Premier League. Crystal Palace is coming up. Do you know where I would feel good about this game? If I read it correctly, like we've list the American scores, where the visiting team is first and the home team is second, which I thought this was. And then I looked it up and I was like, wow, Crystal Palace has only won one match away from home this season. We're going to crush them at Stamford Bridge. But no, you guys have to do things backwards. We play there. I still feel good about it. These guys just like have draws after draws. I think that we are going to score against them. I'd like to think Reese James is going to be back for this match. Maybe it's a little too early. I know they've been very careful with his approach back. He had a bit set back getting the flu, and that's why we didn't see him in this Club World Cup. But I like 2-0 for us. That'll do, wouldn't it? Palace are always a difficult team to play against. We've not lost at Selhurst since back in 2017, but they never make life easy for us. There are certain players that always like to turn up against Chelsea. But it's been interesting, actually, seeing you know from afar how the, the Premier League has sort of panned out over the last week or so. Teams had an opportunity to pick up some points, to make up some ground with Chelsea away, and, and Abu Dhabi, but thankfully they didn't. Spurs, West Ham both dropping points. So, you know, we go into this round of fixtures in good position. Hopefully momentum's on our side. You know, it can only help, can't it, going away in the winter, some warm weather training, winning another trophy. Yeah, I'm confident going into this. And then, of course, you've got the Champions League game coming up next week as well. But focusing on Palace, yeah, let's let's keep a clean sheet, shall we? Let's go 2-0 let's go as well. Ah, uh, darn. <laughs> I, was, I wanted to go 2-0 as well, only because, like you say, if they're going to park the bus with defense, you know, we struggle to score at times. And even when we play those types of teams that play everyone back and they're back third and all, we don't, we don't score that much when it comes to that. Obviously, I want Lukaku to score as he continues. But this is one of those matches for Chelsea back to the Premier League. It reminds me of that Jay-Z verse where it's like, allow me to reintroduce myself because they've just come back after winning that Club World Cup. You're feeling that energy. They want to catch on, take this momentum and run with it. So I say, uh, darn, uh, two, I guess I'll go 2-0 just like y'all. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I don't want to have to make a whole sweep <laughs> us all going with the 2-0. I feel confident about it as well. I feel way more confident because I think one of their best players is Connor Gallagher and he ain't going to be playing against oh, us. Yeah. So I feel great about mm-hmm. that. <laughs> Crystal Palace is an interesting team, too, because you look at the number of goals they scored. They scored a lot for a team in the bottom half of the table, if I'm honest. I mean, they've scored more goals than Wolves, who are up there in seventh. They've only scored two less than uh, Arsenal, who are in sixth. So, like, this team does score quite a bit. Problem is, they got a pretty leaky defense. So, their goal differential is in the negative. So, I think, hopefully, Lukaku, more goals in this time in the Premier League. You know, getting back, as Brandon was saying, the only way to get back in the good graces is putting the ball in the back of the net. He did it twice at the Club World Cup in two separate games that were key. I'm looking for him to keep doing that. So you know what? I'm going to break the 2-0 thing, and I'm going to give Chelsea an extra goal because I think we need a clean sheet. So I would prefer that. Having Mindy back is great. 3-0. 
Chelsea. All right, since you had the bold prediction, we'll let you start first for the Champions League action. Lille is a very young team, but they are super good. So I'm a little nervous about this. I'm more nervous I am than I'm in the Crystal Palace match. So I think it is going to take some adjusting to the match, but we are a stronger team. We're a better team. As Emily said, I'm hoping and seeing somewhat positive signs of Reese being back sometime soon. Don't know which match, but hopefully soon. Would love to see him for this one. But if not, I still feel confident I'm going 2-1. This one worries me because obviously we didn't win the group. Felt like we let some matches that we should have won go. And then everyone's like, well, it's fine. We picked the best draw and we got the easiest team. Like, it's never good when people are saying that and just assume for you to win. I'm with you, Andre. It could be a little bit of a trap, but we know the importance of this. We know the importance of advancing in this tournament. So I like 1-0, and I think Lukaku scores another big goal. There we go. But like you said, Emily, they know what's at stake. You know you got to go in, handle business. You're defending the crown. I say 3-1 for sure. Nothing like Champions League nights under the lights at Stamford Bridge as well. I mean, absolutely right, Andre. Lille are a dangerous side. Maybe we played them back in 2019. It was 2-1 home and away in the, the group stages. They're a different side now than they were then. But yeah, I mean, Champions League nights at the bridge, nothing like it. And I think pre-match, I'm going to take some inspiration from The Rock. I watched him perform at the Super Bowl. I'm going to uh, I'm going to give it the beans my pre-match team reads. What would happen, Lee? I, that was such a weird moment for me of like why we had an MC before the Super Bowl. <laughs> that was brilliant. I love it. Really match if someone like The Rock came at Stamford Bridge and did that while the players are all lining oh up ready God. to go. I'll be out of a job for start. Um, <laughs> we had Michael Buffer at the bridge a few years ago before I did the stadium oh, announcement job. And he was in town. I can't for the life of me remember why he was in town. They brought him in to Chelsea for one game. I had <laughs> brilliant. Sorry. Sounds like I'm blowing my own trumpet, but I remember having to send over voice recordings of all the pronunciations so that his agent could give them to him. It was like, as Piliqueta. <laughs> uh, so I was sending them all over and it was brilliant. And then he got soaked by the sprinklers pre-match, which was there like, oh man, but he there did a great go. job. It'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? I'd love to do that. We spoke about it earlier, didn't we, about the, the MCs at the Club World Cup. My word, they give it the energy. And you go to like Italian games, we went to Juventus and it's like, I couldn't get away with that. I just, I just couldn't go. They'd throw me out in a heartbeat. But oh, it's amazing. It just helps to build the atmosphere, doesn't it? And sense of occasion. Brilliant. My only thing with The Rock is I was disappointed in the outfit. If you're going to show up unexpectedly, you got to come in that black turtleneck gold chain look that he has that everybody posts on yes. Twitter. You got to come out as like the full meme. Like, you can't just come out in this red, weird. He looked like one of my uncles. I was like, what are you doing out there? Hey, Andre, you see the way he was standing, too? Like, like one of the Instagram models <laughs> ready to take a picture? Like, yeah. I'm like, why are you standing like that? <laughs> Stop <laughs> upsetting the rock, please. Oh my Pants were so ugly, I felt like they were fashion. Like, they were so ugly, they had to be deliberate, you know? Rocky, if you're listening, we love you. Oh, man. <laughs> man we got to get more on I'm the scared. podcast for sure. You all can put your powers of prediction to the test with Play Predictor on fifth stage. App. You'll be added to a leaderboard every game you play, and you can compete for the top spot with other Chelsea fans to win a prize after every game, and then play again for a chance to win the monthly or season-long prizes, and that includes a VIP match day experience with flights and accommodation from anywhere in the world. Just don't show up to Stanford Bridge wearing what the Rock wore during the <laughs> Super Bowl. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. All right. All right, so I'm done hating on The Rock right now. Uh, like He's definitely not doing the podcast when I reach out to him on Twitter, but we love you, Rock. We love you, Chelsea FC.
That's going to wrap another episode of Chelsea Mic'd Up. Remember, you can find anything and everything on Chelsea through the Fifth Stand app. Go download it now. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and tell your friend to tell a friend to tell their mamas because we want blue flags flying high across America again. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you all next week. And let's go blue. And I'm off to start building my Cesar Aspilicueta <laughs> statue. See you next week. 